Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Women of the Middle East. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. My name is Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. This is season four, Women Voices Across Genres, where I will be speaking to women producing feminist content across different genres and outlets. These courageous voices delve into untapped areas such as women with disability, hybrid identities, intergenerational trauma, feminist narrative and activism, and much, much more. I'm your host, Amal Malki, contributing to creating a new narrative about us by us. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello, and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Today, we have a very special episode. We are lucky to have uh, Her Highness Sheikha Al-Sal Subah with us in the studio in Doha. Uh, she is a philanthropist and a social entrepreneur. Of course, I select what I want to highlight. She's a publisher and an author, an advocate of positive thinking and power of drama and creativity. She's a mother of four young women and a, and a role model for many men and women. And above all, she is an exceptional, exceptional human being. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Um, what's in the name? Now, I've done my homework and I didn't know that your name carries a story behind it. Okay, so all my siblings, all my my older siblings started with A. So Ali, 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 And then my brother was named after my uncle who, who died, my, my father's uncle who raised him and died. So that is thing. And then my younger siblings are also A. So it's my brother who's named after someone and then me. And my name came from my late uncle Sheikh Sabah Al Ahmed, who was the foreign minister at the time, and they had the Arab League meeting. Mm-hmm. And he got out of the plane, and they said, "Your sister had a baby girl," and he called and he said, "Call her Intisar." Mm-hmm. It's the first time that the Arabs unite uh, on one decision, and so he named me Intisar. And it's a very unusual name. It's not common. And growing up, I, I wanted to become part of the A. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to be different. <laughs> yeah. So that and now that I'm getting older, I understand the, the impact of my name on me, and I, I I'm I'm beginning to understand the impact of names on people because basically, what happens are people call you by your name mm. but in arabic a name is also an um uh, could be a verb could be an adjective so it is um something that you know words have a, have a big impact on people and and we're 70% water and so words have a big uh, impact on water so everyone calls me tsar and tsar so i guess it's made me victorious But, okay, regardless of the political connotation of your I know, name, but for right? me, victory has yes, nothing to do with politics. Exactly, this is what I want to know. Yeah. How how does victory play a role in your life? I how can you say I'm victorious? In I, what context? I'm victorious, I have an amazing family. I'm victorious that I... I think the biggest victory I can, I can claim is... I like to be happy. 
And because I like to be happy, the best or the easiest way to happiness is to be oneself. Mm -hmm. And so I've always um, stayed true to myself and sometimes it goes against other people's opinions, it goes against some uh, societal context. I'm never really that much of a rebel yet I am. I'm not a rebel as much as I really like to stay true to myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my biggest victory, the fact that I can. And being yourself and accepting oneself. Um, I was talking earlier about um, the importance of acceptance of mm -hmm. oneself. And unfortunately, as women, it comes through the lenses of society. So our acceptance is filtered through the society's perception of us as women. Has this impacted you at all? And how did you deal with it if it has? Okay. I believe society and, and, and what we think society uh, impacts us, it's, it's not only on women, it's also on men. If you look at men also, there's a lot of things that men can't do. Mm -hmm. And the majority follow it and some just break free and, and live their life. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the same for women. Mm -hmm. The majority accept and the majority accept different mm -hmm. Uh, scenarios and they think that this is a scenario that is is predominant or everyone has to follow. Um, yeah. Someone said to me yesterday, the Hon Honorable Patricia Scotland said to me yesterday, I said, you are exemplary. And she said, speak from your heart and always have the courage to speak from your heart and never be afraid to speak from your heart. I think this is what we all should follow because when we speak from your heart, people cannot oppose it because there is um, a conviction yeah. that ripples. Yeah, no, I agree mm. with you. Now, let's talk about feminism and uh, your line of activism. Uh, I see that what you do is a unique form of activism, unique in terms of the areas you tackle, but also the way you tackle them. So for example, we rarely hear about post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Unless in our societies, mm -hmm. Gulf societies, unless it is uh, about war, men in war. Um, so this reflects the widespread, of course, ignorance about mental health and mental health uh, importance and our inabilities uh, as societies to, to deal with it. What, why did you choose this area uh, to focus your, your efforts, your energy, your love uh, in? I don't think I chose it. I think it was a natural evolution of, of everything I've believed in and, and where things are taking me and everything I've worked on. So when I started, uh, I started volunteering with uh, uh, an organization that supports uh, children in hospital. So children who are hospitalized, they go through a very tough time. And uh, so what we do is we have a playroom for the children. We also have play leaders. We have uh, child life specialists which are um, certified to be able to work with these young uh, human beings mm -hmm. to lessen the stress of hospitalization on them. 
and this was started more than 35 years in Kuwait and it was pioneering and I was uh, I became a volunteer about 30 years ago and I didn't understand then the children if they are hospitalized they're traumatized in a way or the other I thought it was normal but then I've never had a long-term illness and hospitalization so once I learned about this I volunteered and realized these children need very small things that allow them to tolerate this this stay that they are in hospital and so I started playing I love children so I started playing with them uh, doing different uh, tactile things and when they come when they're uh, going to have any medical procedure uh, if they're going to have a needle so we tell them to blow bubbles and so you, you sort of divert them from the stress of the medical procedures. If it's an uh, MRI, then we put them in a little tent with the same sound, so they know what's going to happen. So that's, I think, the beginning of of lessening people's pain Mm -hmm. or supporting the lessening of people's pain. pain. And then in 2013, 2012, I... um, decided to use positive psychology and use it. And I've always loved psychology. I love reading about it. I love, um, I used to read self-help books when they were not so, so fashionable. Um, and I did a lot of uh, things that made you feel better from uh, um, visualization to all of these different mentalities. I just wanted always to feel better. And I would make an effort. Some people like to feel better, they read books and they don't implement anything. No, I would sit, I would journal, I would do all of these things that make me feel better. So in 2012, I realized that positive psychology would be really good for Kuwait. Mm -hmm. 2013, we started in where? And then it became, we we branched out also with Barir, which uses positive psychology Mm -hmm. in schools. And I saw, and I was, I thought they were lying to me, to say the truth. The girls were changing because I used to f- visit girls' schools. We implemented in both uh, girls' and boys' schools. And the girls, suddenly they're flourishing. And I thought, eh, you know, the, the, I don't know, I'm very skeptical. No, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not saying the truth. No, they're just pretending in front of me. But all the schools were the same. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the director of the program would say, they're changing. And I would look and I said, no one changes that fast. And so that, you know, one thing leads to the other, but they were changing. People need very small things Mm -hmm. to realize that they can feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, So that went on for a few years. And then uh, in 2017, you know, there was a round table. And I realized that women, Arab women affected by war were not offered any mm. mental health, mm. none. Mm. And um, as a victim of war, I am a victim of war. I was a refugee. I know how I changed from being a peaceful person to a scared, um, um, violent, angry um not so happy person. And that was during the uh, occupation of Kuwait. Yeah, yeah. The, the Iraqi occupation of Kuwait. Yeah. And I know what I went through. Mm-hmm. 
And, but I also know that after that, mm. that's why I said I did a lot of self-help. Mm. I realized that I just was feeling terrible. And I didn't know at the time that it was the, the trauma of war or the trauma. It's a trauma. It's, everything was trauma. Seeing dead Iraqis on the road and feeling happy, this is not me. I, I'm scared of, of hurting anything. Or I'd say, I don't like hurting anything. And so the, the, the whole thing turned me. And uh, so when I realized that women were not supported to let go of the pain and the violence inside of them, I decided to do something and say the truth, people made fun of me. People made fun of me in the beginning. They always do because they don't understand. Uh, I was talking to someone today and she said, the world needs the crazy ones because we see what they don't see. And once we accomplish it, they think, oh yes. But in the beginning, it's called crazy. Mm. So when I, did, I decided to do something about it, uh, some people were not my face, because I don't listen to people. But some people were like, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then started looking at what kind of mental health, mental health uh, tools can we give? And so we, we looked at many, and then we decided to do more of a, um, a group mental health support, a societal mental health support, not individual. And so we, we chose the arts. Mm -hmm. And of the arts, we chose drama therapy. It's very impactful. Mm -hmm. It's very transformative. You can call it playing. Mm -hmm. And that's what our women say to their families so they can come. We're going to go play. Uh -huh. So the families allow them to because you know of the taboo and uh, yeah, yeah. and all the other issues that family won't allow them usually to go to a therapist and they come and through we have everything from breathing to visualization and drama therapy let me explain drama therapy not everyone knows it i didn't know it until a few years ago mm. so it's um a mix between psychology so therapy and theater techniques. Mm. And theater techniques, for anyone who knows theater techniques, it's the embodiment of the emotion. Mm. It's a feeling of everything in your body and also feeling of people. Because in the theater, you have to be aware of your audience, but you also have to be aware of your feelings. Mm. And women, anyone who's traumatized is detached and they feel alone. Mm. And so when you're doing theater, they have to embody their emotions, but they also have to work within a team. And then they have to develop listening skills as well as speaking skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, drama therapy raises the women's uh, visibility because with war and violence, you tend to want to be invisible because it's dangerous being visible. So it increases their visibility and increases their voice because most women don't have voices also subdue your voice and also creates a bond between other women and she creates a support group. So what we do, we stay with the same community and we are staying, we haven't finished the 12%, we are staying with the same community until we get the 12 to 14%, which is a tipping point. And then we expect that after you get the tipping point, these women will be able to help the other women. Okay, okay. And that's what we see when we get the women together in the beginning. Um, and it's really interesting because that's what I'm going to be speaking about tomorrow. Uh, traumatized people 
don't like interacting with other people. They're, they're secular. Mm. Mm. Okay, so being in a group, it opens them up to communicating, but also to empathizing, mm. but also to throwing down their guards yeah. and creating a community. So we have women who are neighbors for the past five, six years who don't talk to each other mm. and they're just gossiping about each other, which is what trauma does. Okay. It creates, in, um, it, it separates people because yeah. it's a survival mode. Okay. And when they do drama therapy, they start letting go mm. of all of these issues and pain. Mm. And then they start seeing the humanity in others. And then they, they let their guard down and they're able to bond with other women. And then they create mm. this support group mm. that continues even after we finish working with them. That's so that's why I call it, it's a societal therapy. Mm. It's not individual or group therapy. With group therapy, you have people and then they leave. Yeah. This, we stay within the same society until they become a big, bigger, more homogenous group. And they, and they can mm. create the glue that keeps their families together, that reduces the violence, mm. that reduces mm. uh, the, the trauma within them and also within the, their families. Amazing. So what, and the ripple effect is basically... Um, oh, many. Right? Do you know what they do? Mm. Oh my God. This, see, this makes me happy. <laughs> so, I'll tell you what we've seen. We've seen the reduction, and this is huge, of women allowing gender-based violence. Allowing, Huge. accessing it, huh? Allowing, okay. Allowing. because they don't know. And, and I'll tell you what the women said to me. We didn't know that we can stop it. Yeah. We didn't know that we're worthy to stop it. But when they grow their self-worth, they realize their potential. They realize how powerful they are. So they stop the violence is being inflicted on them mm -hmm. and they stop inflicting violence on their children. Mm -hmm. So they stop beating their children. Yeah. They stop shouting at their children. Mm -hmm. They stop hurting their children because they're not as hurt. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of, unfortunately, my favorite quote, but it's also it's a good ending. She said, when my daughter used to ask me for a glass of water, I would slap her. Now I realize that she is thirsty. Wow. Yes, when you're stressed, if your child says something, the natural thing when you're stressed is to push them away. Because you're stressed, you're in your mind, you're in your head, you're too traumatized. You're in so much pain, you don't want everything the children do is a pain. So she's realized her daughter just wants a glass of water. And I've heard this over and over again with different scenarios. So violence is reduced on her and from her they stop child marriages. So she no longer is afraid that her daughter needs um, protection. Yeah. So she stops her daughter being married so young. Mm -hmm. She stops the daughter being taken out of school. Um, many have started their own new jobs. Mm -hmm. Many have uh, so much self-confidence. Uh, they start treating their daughters different because now the daughter is no longer a liability because she thought she's a liability yes. and when she realizes her yeah. potential and her worth yeah. she realizes that her daughter mm -hmm. is an asset not a liability so 
See, these are the success yeah. stories I love. And these are all things that happened without intention from our side. It's when you grow the inner confidence, the worth of that person, you grow the whole society. Exactly, exactly. It's amazing. And this, those stories are gathered and recorded yes. because those are what skeptics around us. Oh, we do research. So from day one, we had a researcher in place. Uh, I always knew that to create a change, you have to have evidence. Yeah. So everything we do is evidence-based. Mm -hmm. So we've had researchers in place from day one, speaking to the women, taking surveys before, during and after. And also we, uh, we've uh, published reports, we've uh, published two huge researches and we're only we started in 2018 if you count covid we've had four years okay. if you don't count covid we've had two years yeah yeah and so we've had huge many many reports actually and and lots of changes in the women psychologically as well as physically so their pain is diminished mm -hmm. or less mm -hmm. they're they're more able you know, I, I like saying they're no longer surviving. They are now yeah. able to thrive. Oh, nice. Yes, yes that's amazing. So we have, to, we have, we do impact reports. We do measure the changes in yeah. the women. We have research coming up very soon. It's very interesting. So we'll be doing um, all kinds of, of, of tests on women, mm. on the psychology, on the physical, but also on the brain mm. to see how does drama therapy affect uh, the brain function? So using MRIs, using, um, uh, I forgot the word, it'll come to me, but using different uh, measurements, mm -hmm. okay, to determine what happens in the brain and the body mm -hmm. and the epigenetics of these women when we uh, implement a drama therapy uh, program on them. That's amazing. He told me once that happiness and pain cannot no, coexist. No, you can't. No, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Now you deal with victims of war. Mm -hmm. You see the change in their lives, mm -hmm. definitely. And as you said, this change can be measured. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't take away the pain, does it? Momentarily, it does. Can? Okay, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. You have a headache. Mm -hmm. Okay, and something nice happens around you. You still have the headache, you just don't feel it. Yeah. That's it. it they can't coexist in the same moment. Okay. You can't be looking at something really beautiful, like, wow, and feeling a headache. Never. Okay. That's why, and then you stop, like, oh, if the headache's back. Okay. That's what I mean. Okay, makes sense. So, because you can't be happy forever, or, or for you know, and you can't be who, in pain forever. Who says you can't be happy forever? And who says you have to be in pain forever? Mm -hmm. It's a choice. How do I disconnect my empathy from feeling pain? Um, Your pain or people's pain? So, there are lots of people like me, and I know you're an empath too, right? I'm not an empath. You're not no. an empath. Good for you. Because, because for me, empathy is selfishness. Really? Yeah, I can never feel other people's pain. I can think mm. I know what they're going through. Mm. Mm. Okay, but it's, mm. it's my thinking, it's not theirs. It's my brain making me think that I can, I, I, I feel exactly. them at a certain level. Exactly. So um, when I think I know what people are going through, yeah. I'm, I'm, 
I'll say it in another way. I am compassionate. Okay. I don't I not I don't sympathize. I'm compassionate with people, but I don't pretend to know what they're going through. Mm. I can pretend. I can try to understand, but I don't know. So, talking to people, mm. you can support them in discovering how to get out of where they are. But empathy, in a way, sometimes is feeling sorry for people. Okay. And when you feel sorry for people, this stops you from helping them too. And it's unfair on them. Because they don't want to get to tell their own story. Exactly. True. So that's why I yeah. don't consider myself an empath. Because mm -hmm. if, if I'm an empath, means I don't feel myself. Yeah. I'm putting myself in their shoes. I can never put me in their shoes, ever. No one can be in my shoes. But I can understand, and I always do as much as I can to support them, mm -hmm. but I never live their life because if I'm living their life, who's living mine? Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. And who would be able to help? Because exactly. if you're too connected and too... This is what stops me sometimes from helping, and I like what you said because I need to really um, listen to this again and, and internalize it. Uh, sometimes um, I find myself unable to help some people or some women because because of the fact that I'm an empath and the moment they're around me, I feel the pain that they feel. Of course, it's I my brain makes me feel that I feel their pain. Um, it really rubs on me very quickly. Okay, let me tell you the way I see I see my life. For for the longest time, I don't know if it's a female trait or it's it, it is this was me. I felt that the world was unfair. Mm -hmm. Why do I get so much and other people get much less? Mm -hmm. And so there was, I felt there was an injustice. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was help everyone. Until I realized if I didn't have so much, I wouldn't have the energy, the time, the, the resources mm -hmm. to do what I'm doing. So this is part of my happiness too. I don't live people's life because if I did, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. And I'm not detached. I never feel sorry for women. I actually, I'm in awe yeah. because I don't think I could have lived their life. To see these women that we meet and to see all the hardship they're going through and to realize I would have been broken a long time ago, yet she's here. She's making an effort and she wants to change her life. I'm in awe. And when I'm an empath, I don't see that. True. True. You just focus on her being a victim rather than a survivor. She, she is yeah. a thriver. Yeah. The fact that she's there, there doing the program, mm. whatever the program is, mm. she's a thriver. You're a Kuwaiti princess. Mm. One of the new emerging narratives uh, that I believe is contributing to undermining us as women uh, on two uh, levels, um, international level, when they focus on the fact that you're a Kuwaiti princess. And oh, I love it. Okay. I love and it. I use it the whole time. It's never, it's never a liability. Always turn everything mm. into a good thing. Exactly. How do you do that? How do you take this privilege, uh, claim it, you have to claim it. It's a fact. Okay, but show them how. What do you do? Because this is taken against us even in the regional um, uh, I don't narrative. think people... See, the way I see life is no one's against me. I don't... I don't 
battle through life. Okay. <laughs> I don't battle through life. I'm privileged. The day I realized, well, it took me many, 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 many weeks and months and years to realize the privilege is barakah and na'mah. Yeah. Okay. It's a and blessing. So. It's a blessing. And if I don't appreciate the blessing, I'm saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And so I realized, why am I not loving it? The only reason I'm lo loving it is because I don't feel worthy. Yeah. And I think it should stop. I feel um, guilty of enjoying it. And so when I came to this place where I'm enjoying who I am, and because I'm enjoying who I am, I can do so much. Mm. Mm. Exactly. I yeah. can do so much, not for other women, I can do so, or other people, I can do so much for me. I can enjoy life. I can flourish. I become a role model for my daughters, for my family, for people. Mm -hmm. And I can only be a role model when I'm embracing the true me, when I'm enjoying mm -hmm. the privileges that I have. And only when you truly enjoy mm -hmm. and are appreciative of the privilege can you do something more for others. Because if you're not full, mm -hmm. You cannot support others. I totally agree. I love the way you put it. I love the way. It took me a long time to get here, and I'm loving it. Yeah. And I'm Arab. Oh my God, I love being Arab. I love that we're not always as sensible as they think we should be. We're not always as uh, whatever others think. I am me. I love it. Well, you're breaking stereotypes on a daily basis. You know, Marianne. You know, Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Okay, Marianne Williamson had this. It's my, one of my favorite quotes ever. I will not quote it because it's very long, but basically it starts with our biggest fear is not our darkness. Mm -hmm. Our biggest fear is our, how, is our light and how great we are. And only when you can shine your light as bright as you can, can you support others around you to shine bright. Someone said to me, only when your candle is lit can you support the other candles being lit. Um, you help women. Um, I support women, I don't help them. You support women. Mm -hmm. You support women, uh, right, left and center. Um, I hear about uh, those wonderful stories about you. Um, but what is your hope for women? I just want to be happy. Women can be whoever they want. Listen, to still think that women need to fight, we're over the fight phase. Women are taking over. They have to fight now. <laughs> like seriously, I, I look at my Allah income within the next 20 years, you're, you're going to be asking for the 50-50. And the next 20-50 years. 20 years, looking at all high school gra uh, university graduates, looking at all uh, uh, leadership, all, it's women. Looking, women are willing to take on responsibility yes. more than men. If they are given the chance. Because the you know who's destroyed men? Their mothers. <laughs> I always say to mothers, do not destroy. I don't have boys, so I'm lucky I never Me destroyed neither. my son. <laughs> a son I never had. <laughs> Women destroy their sons by doing everything for them. Yeah. 
You know, someone said something to me today. Men can't do anything with a, without a woman's support. Why are we letting them lead the world without us being there? Exactly. She has a point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But the, the stuff that you do to support women is actually enabling them to, first of all, believe in themselves. Exactly. All right? you need to do is exactly. believe. And when you believe, you don't need to fight. You don't need to... It, it, there's enough it for men and women. Definitely. Mm. Of course. It's, yeah. It's a shared responsibility. This life is a shared responsibility. There's yin and yang. Yeah. I believe in that. It, it, it's not one. No. If women ruled the world, world, it still wouldn't be a good world. Sheikh Antasar, uh, it's such an honor to have you and such a lovely <laughs> atmosphere you created here. Will you laugh in yoga? I'm <laughs> definitely, I'm going to look for a laughing yoga. Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. you for being in my life. Thank you for being who you are. And um, uh, we're very, very uh, lucky to have you. Yeah, you would, Gilby. I am honored, privileged. And this has been such a nice and beautiful day. Thank you so Thank much you for so watching. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and watching. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or via email. This is Women of the Middle East podcast.